This morning's reading is from Genesis chapter 46 and 47. I'll start reading from verse 1. So Israel set out with all that was his, and when he reached Bathsheba, he offered sacrifices to the God his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again, and Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Bathsheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. And then verse 26. All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons, were the two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt, the members of the Jacob's family which went to Egypt, were 70 in all. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his cart made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die since I've seen for myself that you are still alive. Then Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will, go up, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh and will say to him, my, brother, my brothers and my father's household who are living in the land of Canaan have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock and they're brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. And Joseph went and told Pharaoh, My father and brothers, with their flocks and herds and everything they own, have come from the land of Canaan, and now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Pharaoh asked the brothers, What is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds, they replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, We have come to live here for a while, because the famine is severe in Canaan, and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you, and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land. Let them live in Goshen, and if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my pilgrim are 130. My years have been few and difficult and do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my father's. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. 
Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt and gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their children. There was no food, however, in the whole region, because the famine was severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away because of the famine. Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for the grain they were buying, and he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of the people of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money is all gone. Then bring your livestock, said Joseph. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep and goats, their cattle and donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. When that year was over, they came to him, from, uh, came to him the following year and said, We cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes, we and our land as well? Buy us and our land in exchange for food, and we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die, and that the land may not become desolate. So Joseph brought all the land in Egypt. Sorry, Joseph bought all the land in Egypt for Pharaoh. The Egyptians, one and all, sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. The land became Pharaoh's, and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. However, he did not buy the land of the priests because they received a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and had food enough from the allowance Pharaoh gave them. That is why they did not sell their land. Joseph said to the people, Now that I have bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four-fifths you may keep as seed for the fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. You have saved our lives, they said. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We will be in bondage to Pharaoh. So Joseph established it as a law concerning land in Egypt, still in force today, that a fifth of the produce belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not become Pharaoh's. Now the Israelites settled in Egypt in the region of Goshen. They acquired property there and were fruitful and increased greatly in number. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. 
Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. This is God's word. And my name's Scott. I'm the student minister. Uh, we're looking again at the story of uh, Joseph. Let me pray as we uh, begin together. Heavenly Father, in the midst of this extraordinary life of Joseph, you have been teaching us some, some wonderful things about your faithfulness, about your goodness, about your care for your people. And this morning we, we see how your people live in response uh, as those in a foreign land but looking towards home. Father, please show us how we too can live longing for our true home. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you can remember back to um, the first time that maybe you realized that you lived in London. Maybe that sounds like a silly question. But um, whatever it was, maybe, um, maybe the first time that you got the tube at rush hour and were packed in. Do you remember when, remember when we used to be packed into the tube? Maybe it was um, the first time you, you emerged uh, at, 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 to work at, in the city or um, emerged out into Piccadilly Circus on a busy uh, Saturday evening, and you're just confronted with, um, with the lights and the bustle, with the opportunities, the endless opportunities that London has to offer. Maybe it was um, the, the first time you had a slap-up meal at the Ritz. I'm sure you've all ticked that off your bucket list. Um, or uh, w- went to see a show. Whatever it was, London can be, it, it can be overwhelming, but it can also be thrilling, impressive, so much to, to dazzle, to delight. That's a, that's a little bit of uh, the experience of Joseph's family in, uh, in the part of, the, of his story that we're at in the minute. As they arrive in Egypt, not just as, uh, as people seeking um, grain, but to settle and to live there. Here they are, um, just arrived from Canaan, where basically there was, there was nothing but a few sheep and now they're in the center of, of the world, and the greatest civilization that, that the world had known up to this point, with it, it, its cities so vast, it, its grand temples. It is dazzling. And yet they still are God's people. And we've seen as, we, as we've gone on how God has promised to bless um, this family, uh, to bless them with a land to make them into a great nation that they might be a blessing to the whole world. And through the ups and downs of of Joseph's story, God has been preserving those promises. As As the family settle in Egypt this week, God has already saved them from annihilation. He saved them from the famine. He saved them from from being torn apart um, as he's brought the family back together. Uh, We saw that last week. And today, through Joseph, God saves them from the danger of assimilation. The danger of just blending in to the people around them. Forgetting all about God's promises and just living like everyone else. That's what God saves them from this week. And and it's going to teach us as we look at it. It's going to teach us to, to hold on to God's promises to us even when this world feels overwhelming, dazzling, impressive. Because the world can promise so much, can't it? There's always the next thing, the next promotion, um, the next house, 
uh, the opportunities. And those things can be wonderful blessings. But if you're a Christian, this is not your home. God has promised something better for you. And so we're to keep looking there. We're to keep looking above, beyond the things that dazzle us in this life. And we're to live differently, distinctively to those around us. Not not just blending in and living like everyone else, but being distinct. So that's where we're going this um, this morning. We've we've got four points um, as we move uh, through our passage. We'll see that God reaffirms his promises to Jacob's family. That Joseph ensures they remain distinctive. That Egypt seems to offer all that they need. And that God's promises keep them looking to their true home. So firstly then, God reaffirms his promises to Jacob's family. We haven't heard God speak um, in Genesis since way back in Genesis 35. He last spoke to Jacob and said, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. It's a big promise God had made to Jacob back in Genesis 35. Jacob has been in that land ever since. But now he's just been told that his, his long lost son Joseph is alive in Egypt. He's not just alive, but he is ruler of Egypt, almost second only to, to Pharaoh. And he wants to go and see him. But to do that, he must leave the land that God has promised to him and his family. And that is a scary thing. And so God speaks to him again and reassures him that even the journey to Egypt is part of God's plan. Verse three of chapter 46. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba and Israel's sons and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So as they leave the promised land, their, their location is changing, but God remains the same. His promises endure even as they leave for Egypt. Significant that, that God speaks to Jacob at, at Beersheba, and um, that is where Abraham had lived. Uh, It's where God had appeared to Isaac and promised him descendants. Geographically, it's right on the southern edge of the promised land. Any further, and they are not in the promised land anymore. And so God reassures them as they take these steps that he goes with them. Egypt is just a means to an end in God's plan. God will use Egypt to save his people. Um, as they're protected from the famine. He'll use Egypt to bring the family back together uh, as they're reconciled. It's in Egypt that this family of 70 will become a, a great nation. All those things happen in Egypt. But Egypt is not their home. And so God promises that he will bring them back out of Egypt too. 
Canaan is the place where God's promises will be fulfilled. Canaan is their true home. And as we've seen Joseph's story, we've seen that he's held on to those promises all throughout his time in Egypt. And he's keen to ensure that his family do the same. So the second thing we'll see is that Joseph ensures his family remain distinct. Joseph ensures his family remain distinct. If Jacob's family are going to hold on to God's promises, they must resist the temptation to just be like the Egyptians. Joseph knows full well that the pressure to conform when you're the only one uh, living in a certain way. I guess we all know that, um, that pressure, don't we, to conform, to just become like uh, those around us. I wonder how long it, um, it was, how long you'd lived in London, um, until you'd, you started doing uh, what I call the tube walk. Okay, do you know what I mean, the tube walk? So maybe um, imagine you're, you're walking down Piccadilly um, casually. You know, it's after church. You're not in a rush. You're sort of, you know, you've got your coffee at prayer. You're having a nice chat with a friend. Um, you're ambling down the road. But as soon as you reach Green Park Station, everything changes. Okay, you go from like leisurely coffee, coffee to head down. Go, 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 go. This way, this way, this way. Get out of my way, tourists. Um, stop looking at the map. Just go anywhere. It doesn't matter where you go. Go, go, go. Do you know what I mean? When you just, you walk differently in the tube. You just sort of, even if you're not in a hurry, you hurry. And you sort of, you just start doing it because it's what everyone does on the tube. Now that's a, that's a very um, silly example. For some things, it, it doesn't matter uh, if you become like those around you. But for other things, it, it really does. For the things that we live for, the things that we put our hope, our trust in. Well, it matters that we don't just become like those around us. And the danger for Jacob's family as they start living in Egypt is that they just blend in. They just become uh, like the Egyptians. They behave like them and they think like them. They worship like them. Soon it, it would be very hard to tell who was one of God's people and who was just a regular Egyptian. And so for, for Jacob's family, remaining distinct means living in a different part of Egypt. And that's sort of what's going on in the second half of, of chapter 46. They could have gone anywhere. Joseph rules Egypt and the whole land is in front of them. But Joseph ensures they remain distinct by, by playing the shepherd card. And his family are shepherds. They brought their flocks with them. And we're told in verse 34 that all the shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians not really, not really told why, it's the smell. Um, but Joseph plays that card in order that they get given the land separate to the Egyptians. They, they, they've, already, they've already stopped for lunch in Goshen. They might as well stay there. They're not going to live in the palaces with Joseph. They're not going to live in the great cities or the cultural centers, but in Goshen. It's a good land. It's, it's the best land but they're given it in order that they might remain distinct, a people, together. See, even when it means being despised as shepherds, looked down upon by the sophisticated Egyptians, it is better to be looked down on and be one of God's people than just to blend in. What does, what does that mean for us? How does that apply for us? Um, it, 
this passage is not telling us to, to sort of go and live in a little commune somewhere. You know, let's all go and live in South Fields. Lots of people already live in South Fields anyway. Let's all go and live there, and we can have a little, a little, Christian, uh, little Christian bubble there. It's not telling us to do that. When, for New Testament believers, it is different. When Jesus marks out his people as distinct, he seals us with his spirit. His spirit who enables us to live distinctively in this world. So to live differently in your workplace and when others are just looking to get ahead. But you live knowing that you serve a greater master. To live differently on your streets when everyone else is just chasing the next home comfort to make this world home. To show that actually this isn't our home. To live distinctively at the school gate um, to show that, that, that our hopes and dreams for our children don't, aren't, aren't all wrapped up with what this world offers, but are primarily that they would know and love Jesus. Living like that will mean that people think you're strange. Uh, you'll be looked down upon in different ways. But like Jacob's family here, it's better to be despised as one of God's people than just blur um, into the world around us. God's people are called to be different because our hope is different. For Jacob's family, it was very hard to remember um, all that God had promised. It was hard for them to remember that Canaan was where their home was. Because thirdly, Egypt seems to offer all that they need. Egypt seems to offer all they need. Egypt had been extraordinarily good for Joseph. And it's working out pretty well for the family too. Joseph has provided for them. They've got the land. And he's able to supply them with food, even in the midst of a famine. This family prosper, even as, as the Egyptians suffer. Even as the Egyptians need to hand over all their money and eventually their livestock and their land to Pharaoh just to survive. Not God's people. God's people here are thriving. Remember um, what the promises of God revolve around for his people. Land, people, and blessing. And Egypt, on the face of it, is providing all of that for these people. They live in the best land. They're becoming a great people as they increase greatly. And Joseph is, is almost a king in terms of his authority and his influence. They're even being a blessing to other nations. Egypt is blessed through Joseph's administration. Jacob um, even blesses Pharaoh. It must have been very easy for this family to think, maybe, just maybe, Egypt is what we've been looking for. Maybe Egypt is where God's promises are going to be fulfilled for us. Maybe God wants us to be like the Egyptians. Forget that, that Nowheresville, Dust Bowl, Canaan. This is where Egypt is, is where life is. We're often, we're often tempted in the same way, aren't we? And we live in, in, in this great city, and it's so easy to get dazzled by it. And the promise of um, influence, the promise of, of wealth, the promise of being where stuff happens, the feeling like you're, you're right at the center of it. 
or maybe maybe it's the complete opposite. Maybe after a year and a half of the pandemic, it's longing for that that quiet life, that rural idyll with a little bit more space and a and a herd of goats to keep you occupied. Whatever it is, wherever our daydreams sort of take us. God promises to provide for his people along the way. He, promi- he provides for Jacob's family. And yet, and yet, this is not our home. The, the blessings that God provides can easily become traps for us as we're always searching for that next thing and the thing that will make the big difference uh, to our lives, the, the next move and the next step up the career ladder the next stage for the kids, a new relationship, whatever it is. We get dazzled by those things. We, 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 we hone in on them and we place our hope there. One example from my own life of the way I've been thinking, thinking that through this week. Um, uh, we're at the point in, in our curacy where, um, job where we're, look, we're thinking about the next move. Yeah, um, probably by next summer. We'll, um, you know, we'll be, we'll be moving on to, to another job somewhere. And so I've sort of tentatively started to, you know, just see what job adverts are out there. And for, you know, for uh, people like me, there's not lots, but there are a few. And as I've looked, as I've looked at them, you know, that sort of each church produces a sort of, you know, here's what we're about. Here's what's important to us. Here's what we do. Here's what we'd love in a vicar. Um, I had to catch myself a few times this week. I've only looked at a couple of them. Don't worry. I'm not moving on too quickly. Um, you know, sometimes I'm just fed up of reading those things, think about those, and I'll just scroll straight down to our vicarage. Where would our vicar live? Ooh, what would that, what would that be like? Oh. You know, ig- just ignoring the important stuff and going, where could we live? Now, it's, it's one of the blessings of, of, of being a, a minister that you get your housing provided for you, but that's not, that's not the point. The point is not... That's where you get to live. It's so easy to just focus on what this world offers. Jacob would would live in Egypt for the next 17 years. He would die there. He would want for nothing in his retirement. But, But Jacob knew that Egypt was not his home. So our fourth and final point is that God's promises keep them looking to home. God's promises keep them looking to home. Jacob's dying request to Joseph is evidence that that he knew where God's promises would be fulfilled. Chapter 47 in verse 29. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. See, God had blessed Jacob and his family in Egypt, but that isn't where God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Jacob was looking forwards to a place where they wouldn't be strangers anymore, but citizens. Where they wouldn't just be getting a a taste of the promises, but the fulfillment of those promises. 
for God's people, the, the, the goodness of life in Egypt will soon turn bad. But the promises of home, well, they will never disappoint. So Jacob says, bury me there. That's what I'm looking to. That's where my hope is. Jacob's hope in reality was, was really just for, for a little plot, a little, a little piece of the promised land to be buried in. The promise that God makes to his people now is so much greater. Um, these verses from 1 Peter, um, three, uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 5. Here's what God says about his promise to his people now. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. See what that's saying? In Jesus... God promises us an inheritance that can never perish, that will never turn bad, an eternity with him, enjoying all the blessings of relationship with him. And we are not there yet. That inheritance, 1 Peter says, is, is kept in heaven for us. In the meantime, God often provides, he will provide what we need. And he blesses us. He shields us as we trust in him. But he will come. He will come and reveal uh, that inheritance, fulfill those promises. As tempting as it is to, to look to this world for our hope, our home is not the world that we see around us, but the one that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. He's gone to prepare a place that is, is better in every way, is more real, is more vivid, more enduring than even the best of what this world offers. And so as we see um, Jacob and his family uh, looking to those promises, looking to that hope, we're to do the same. We are to be like Jacob. Not to be dazzled by the things of this world, but to keep looking to our hope in heaven. We're not to put our hope in, in what this world can offer, but in everything that Jesus has promised. Our home is not here. It is there. Live for there. Base your decisions on that reality. Make that what you live for now, even when that marks you out as different to those around you. Don't settle uh, for being just like everyone else. Hold on to those promises. They are great. They are true. They are good. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts, you know how easily we become distracted and dazzled by all that this world um, has to offer.
Father, we, we place our hope uh, in the here and now or in the next thing. Father, thank you for showing us in, in, in this passage the, the foolishness of that and, and the, the greater, the better joy that awaits uh, your people. Father, help us to long for the day when Jesus returns and all of your promises will be fulfilled in him. And Father, would we live now knowing that reality to come, uh, living distinctive lives, different lives to those around us, that we might bring glory to your name, that we might look and hold on to that hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.